Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hi there, it's Elaine Lindsay, and we're back again, Suicide Zen Forgiveness. And I have to say I am quite honored today to have with me Michelle Bell. Uh, She is the grief warrior. She is a death shaman. And she is someone I met on Clubhouse. I think you're going to find this enlightening, supportive, and maybe a little eye-opening as well. I felt a real... Um, humming connection when I was in the room with Michelle and and was so thrilled that she agreed to speak with me. It isn't always easy for people to come on to this podcast and and I do honor that. So thank you so much for being with me, Michelle. And it's Michelle with one L. It is Michelle with one L. It's so nice to meet you, Elaine. (gasps) Oh... Yeah, this this is it's a it's a it's a tough subject. It's uh it's not a light and fluffy podcast. Uh, we do get to have some fun because life for the living has to have fun in it. I can say that from the lofty height of being an older person. That's how I'm I'm gonna um, view that is is being slightly older. But I I want to um, take a couple of little quotes that are on Michelle's website that I I thought uh, really are quite interesting, even in terms of what we're going to talk about today. So it says, grief does not destroy us. It redefines us. And there are so many different types of grief I would like you to perhaps take us back to how you became a death shaman and how that comes to relate to being on the podcast today. So going back to 1998, when my beautiful grandmother was transitioning, I I was at her bedside and as I was praying with her and thanking her because the, you know, the, the hearing is the last to go. Right. So, um, you know, just, just saying it all to her. And then all of a sudden I wasn't in the room. Like I was going to a place beyond the veil that they call it today. And this is in 1998. So I, I was in this beautiful space and time of of peace and love and it, it was profoundly and deeply like I can't it's so hard to describe you know um and then 
as she was, I was going up higher and higher, she was elevating um, and, and, and her hair started to turn red. She had the red lipstick. She's like Shelly. I will always, always be with you. And I'm looking to my left because they always, the spirits always come to my left. Ah. And on the left-hand side, um, I do see the gates and I see all these people there with their backs turned, just like in line. And I'm like, okay, it's time for me to exit and to go back. I don't even know how it happened, but um, I was at the, you know, at her bedside and I felt like I dropped out of the sky and then, or the heavens. And I, and I felt like butter, like melted butter. I had, I felt, I didn't feel the 150 pounds that I weighed. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So it was a beautiful experience. And then later on that evening, I got a phone call from the hospital um, at three in the morning your grandmother had transitioned and I say transitioned <laughs> a lot. So that's how I refer to my loved ones is that they've transitioned. So I thought it, I, I was so relieved for her and, you know, later on, um, I didn't know who to share this story with because back in 1998, you don't share these kinds of stories with people because you could, they're going to think you're a little wonky. Yeah. They still do today think you're wonky when you talk about it, right? Yeah. So I I was um oh, so I wanted to share the story with somebody who was elevated and more enlightened. So back in the day, Montel Williams every Wednesday had Sylvia Brown on the in the audience there and I'm like I'm just going to go down I'm going to go down and raise my hand in between uh, commercials because I do not want to be live on TV. I do not want to share the story. And, you know, I think back and I and when I shared with her, she says she said to me, my dear, you will one day change people's lives. You have such a profound gift. And that's really all she said after I explained it to her. And then she approached me after the fact. And then she was kind of like my go-to person when, when I was going through this journey of, of transition, transitioning into a, and I didn't even know what a death shaman was or a death doula. I didn't, I didn't, I've only known recently because it's the hype now. Everybody's a death doula. Yeah. yeah. But for, you know, for me, Elaine, it is so sacred. It is a very sacred gift to me. Um, you know, to be able to sit with people that are dying and being able to transition them to the other side in the fear of the unknown. So I believe that my grandmother actually, she prepared me for this transition with my son for those five years when he was diagnosed with the cancer in 2000. So I feel, I feel as though that it was prepared, that was preparing me for Nikki. And, you know, I spent five years on nine East and NYU 
on the ninth floor, going in and out of rooms, transitioning young adults, talking to them, loving them, bringing them to a place of such love and comfort where they're, they're not, that, that they're, they're fearless yeah. and that, and that they're suppressed to a place of, of, of calm. So it is a very, it's a very sacred, it's a very sacred, I don't, if you know, if you want to call it a gift, people, I I think it's a blessing to be able to do that for somebody, but I love to sit with people that are transitioning. I truly do. It's very obvious to me. And, and that makes you the gift because in our society, in North America specifically, we're one of the few societies that do not have any uh, deep regard or we don't have any, any rituals that honor death. You know, I'm half mm-hmm. Irish, half Scottish. Uh, uh, wakes and, and oh my God, I mean, they go on forever. And, and many other cultures in the world, death is something that one must go through because we're human. And it's something that the family is, is very much involved in and not in just a, a highly uh, charged, you know, sad, grief-filled way. There's, there's more to it. You know, Mexico, the Day of the Dead, uh, you know, people go to the the cemeteries to honor their dead. Uh, It's not that way so much in North America. It's different. And and I think this, as as much as it's been an explosion, because things tend to uh, get very trendy in North America, but but the true death shamans, the true uh, people that in a way, you are a healer. You are helping not just transition the person that's leaving, but you're you're helping the family come to terms with all those feelings, and and that is a huge gift. It's a lot of energy, but you know, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Like, if I can put a family at ease after being a part of that that transition, and we all embrace and we all hug each other, it's very personal. You know, it 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 does it, it gives me more than goosebumps. Yeah. Um, because I know that they're now they're safe they're they're safe and i know the other side so well because you know my son uh nikki visits me often so i do know that i i had a client um who lost his wife recently of 55 years and he said to me michelle is my wife in heaven I said, absolutely. Yes. You know, and I, and he's such a sweet, innocent man. He's 
oh, I love them. But the, the one requirement in grief and when you lose a you know if your if your friend transitions or passes away be that friend to that you know embrace them fully and 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 be their support for them um that's something that i re- i didn't have after my son passed away um yeah. it, it was so traumatic I, I i mean i literally spent my first mother's day alone oh and I have spent my mother's days alone for many, many years, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it now. Um, but getting back to, you know, you're Irish. I, I, my family's from Scotland. They're from Austria. They're yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm open to, to that, that part of the world, um, in, in all of it, uh, you know, it is a celebration if you think deeply about it. So, so yes, grief. Some people don't grieve for months and years after their loved one dies. And, and that is the case actually with my brother who committed suicide. Yes. I'm still trying to process yeah what happened i know what happened i know it could have been prevented yeah and and i mean that's if you're willing we will go into that because that's part of this story thing that i've been carrying around since I was 16, you know, I'm now 65. That's a long time to drag things with you. But what really struck me about you and, and being a death shaman, you're, you're taking, you're taking on a role that I think we need to start with children and let them understand that this life is transitory mm. and there will come a time where people won't be here anymore and if we don't acknowledge and and deal with that kind of grief then you're going to have other people like me who basically became a tornado of pain that couldn't deal with wanting to not deal with the grief because I didn't know what to do with it. And, and, you know, your brother, that, how about we, how about we go there? Before we go there, I do want to um, express my sincere condolences because I understand that pain, Elaine. I truly, truly do. I lost my friend at 18 years old. She was brutally murdered. And it devastated me. I, I was devastated. And, I, you know, it's like one minute they're there. And they're like at 18 years old. How do you process that? So, yeah. you know, my mom was is not 
really the empathetic type. I didn't know who to talk to about it. I had nobody to talk to about it. I went into depressions and every year for about 30 years on October, uh, in October, September, you know, it, it, I get triggered because I know her, her birthday's coming up or the date that she, you know, I just know I'll never forget her. And I encourage people when they've lost a loved one to say their name. And, you know, Tina was a beautiful woman. She was a beautiful mother. She loved her daughter so much and it broke my heart. So I want to let you know that I understand that because when I asked my mother, you know, why did this happen? You know, she kind of, you know, she says, well, you're going to have to move on in life. Okay. Yeah. It, I just needed a hug. I just wanted yeah. a hug. You know, yeah. if you but can't like, say anything appropriate, maybe she didn't know better. Just well, this is it. hug. Hug. Yeah. But see, this is it. You and I can sit here now. And back when Andrea took her life, I it was New Year's Eve. So it was New Year's Day that I had to tell my parents what happened. And like your mom, it, it wasn't even that, you know, I, I, I think my parents would have tried to be supportive in some way, but this was 1972. They were deeply Catholic. Mm -hmm. My girlfriend was Jewish and to them, she had just committed the ultimate sin in their religion. Yeah, exactly. And and that feeling, you probably understand the feeling of, I was already in a combative mode because I felt I had to, I had to defend her from mm -hmm. all comers because it just, how do you pass that on? And, and you know, as your, your friend, so heartbreaking was murdered it's a different thing because there's all that that heartbreak and and the grief is is all there but it was not her doing and it took me decades to understand that there was a kernel of anger at andrea for putting us in this position. I couldn't know back then what I know now and how, you know, he actually gave me an incredible gift. But back then, the anger just got stuffed down with all the other feelings that got stuffed down because we were not taught to to air our feelings. And you two are Scottish. I'm I'm born and bred Edinburgh. You do not Show. I want to visit there. You have to. It's gorgeous. Yeah, no, it's I know. Gorgeous. It's it's calling my name. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, we we will talk about that later too. But it's uh it was part of the culture to not talk about your dirty laundry. That's what it was considered. Anything right. that was mental illness, anything that was untoward anything that was 
you know, somebody got gailed, jailed, um, that that was that was something you did not talk about because it was not the done thing. And it it just was a sign of the times. You know, Maya Angelou said, when we know better, we do better, which is absolutely true. But it's taken us all an awful long time to get to a place where we understand that we need to know better. Well, thank goodness for Clubhouse, right? Wow, look at absolutely. that! Look, look at that! Look at that platform! Look at how beautiful yeah. people just come together in that little bubble, and you can not only you know feel the energy, but you're being comforted by strangers, yeah, yeah, from all over the world, and you oh, know absolutely. who they are authentically. Yeah, yeah, it's really so, quite beautiful. You know. So I, in, in my first book, I created the seven stages of grief alignment, yes. which is living with intent, embrace, because it took me 11 years to, to actually write my book because of the emotional roller coaster. Um, so, you know, I, I was searching for the tools myself because therapy wasn't going to help me. I had to go deep within, deeply within, and create the tools which I use now and the modalities that I use now with clients on my one-on-one -on -one retreats. And I'm so, so grateful that I call them sunflowers. <laughs> because they 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 have we have a, our own little secret garden of 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 growing and evolving and and love and a new way of living in life you know in the grief yeah um so back then yes it was you know not appropriate maybe to talk about it but you know I'm a, I'm a little bit of a rebel and I need to express myself. That's just who I am. So, oh, uh, let me get back to the seven stages of grief alignment, living with intent, which um, is, is uh, I use the, wor the, uh, the word embrace as an acronym, E, express. Yes. Right? Emotional journaling. Um, e express M meditate and you, and there are so many ways to meditate and breathe. There really are. Cause you know, you won't get me on the floor cause I won't get up. Yeah. I, I just can't. I, I just, no, I, I can't. Um, E M express meditate B be present. Yes. R rejuvenate. Mm, good. A, awaken, C, connect, and E, eat healthy. So they all kind of intertwine together. And mm -hmm. I just finished my first course, which I'll launch soon, as soon as I get a chance to do the videos in between my other work um, on Express. So yeah. I find that Express is, is, is truly important. 
in this journey of, of, of loss, losing a loved one, of, of, all of it. And the, the additional piece, which is what makes suicide so hard, and even the grief so hard, is the fact that there has always been shame and guilt and blame that surrounds those that are left behind, suicide survivors who have attempted and, and are still here. Yeah, and all survivors all, guilt. It's called absolutely. survivors guilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and and that plays a huge part too because until very recently, people tended not to tell people if someone in their family had taken their own life. It it such a taboo subject. makes it very it makes it very very difficult to talk about but i think from the perspective of being a death shaman i think this is something that you have a unique perspective and talent to be able to help those that are left behind deal with that aftermath I work with a lot of young adults, truly. I, I I just love working with a lot of young adults in my circle. I it's they their 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 trauma, their all of it is relatable to me. I understand it. I understand the bullying. I understand the suicide thoughts. I understand depression. Rape, you name it, I understand it. So, survivor's guilt is a huge one for me um, that I kind of, that I do struggle with because you know my mother got pregnant at twenty five years old, and um, she was under the guise of her her father and mother to go to a convent for nine months yep. and give the child up for adoption. She never told me about him until I was 25 going through a divorce. You know, she just all of a sudden says, Hey, you got a brother. And I was an only child. And, you know, I was so, Oh, lonely growing up. Cause I didn't have anybody that I could really share secrets with or not even secrets, but just yeah. have a normal conversation with, because I, I was, I was so bullied growing up and it, it was so unpleasant because I didn't have my mother on this. It was just my, you know, my grandmother did her best, but I, I really was, I, I always used to say to myself, because I used to hide underneath my dining room table with a sheet over it because I used to think I was Barbara Eden from, <laughs> remember her? I'd be like, yep. Give me a brother, bring me a brother. And then 25 years old, I find out I have this brother that my mother never connected with. She never found. And she's like, Michelle, don't open up a can of worms. And I'm like, oh, well, 
you know, honey, you're talking to the wrong person. Yeah. I have a brother. We're going to embrace you and him. So, you know, back then, um, the adoption registry in New York, if the parent isn't registered and the child is, there are no connections. So I had to register my mother. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he is four years older than I am. And I'll never forget it. I was so happy to hear his voice on the other end of that phone. We connected immediately. But I felt his pain. And I and I was so I was going through survivor's guilt even though he still existed because I'm the surviving sibling that lives with your mother who gave you up for adoption. Yeah. So, you know, I had to, I had to, you know, always treat him with the utmost respect oh, as yeah. my brother. But I took, I kind of took on that maternal role that my mother never gave him because yeah. I love, I love being a mom. I, I really do. I miss it. So um, he was a he was a he was a big part of my life. Um, Michael, his name was Michael Jude. And there's two card red cardinals sitting on the fence right here as I'm talking about him which are probably my brother and my son. <laughs> yep. But, um, you know, it was sometimes challenging to have a conversation with Michael because he always expressed his depression to me and he felt abandoned. He yeah. called her Barbara, which is, re you know, reasonable. He didn't call her mom. I wouldn't expect him to, but you know, I had to kind of protect my mother in a way, and I had to kind of protect yeah him. And it was a it, it was never a burden. It was just it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, and um, because I always had in the back of my head the survivor's guilt of can we just be a family? <laughs> can we just move out to Colorado? And that's what happened. That's that's what happened in 2017. Um, I am. Do you want me to talk about it? If you're comfortable, absolutely. Okay. So I moved back to my family home um, because my mother was diagnosed with dementia. Yeah. And um it was challenging. She's she's oh, yeah. she's very cantankerous. Dementia wouldn't help with that. You know, it wasn't there like in the very beginning because my mother my mother ooh she I love her to death. I really really do, but 
we had a very dysfunctional relationship. Um, very much so. And a lot of trauma, mental, psychological. And um, I went home to take care of her for eight years, eight and a half years until she transitioned in April during COVID at home. She asked to be home. So I said, yeah, we're home. <laughs> I kept wow. her home 24 hours taking care of her. So when it was getting really hard, I needed help. Like I, after like five years, I said, I need help. I need people to help me come in here. And, you know, she, she, she was always up like 18, 20 hours. She won't only, it was it's so, and you know, and I never told Michael the details, but he and I always talked, but I think he felt that yeah. I was stressed. So he says, Michelle, he goes, why don't you just come out here? He goes, I have a huge house. I have, you know, I have, I have 15 houses. He's, he did so well for himself. This wow. is, this is what really hurts me because he, he became a lawyer. He worked hard. He had properties. He had, he, he was fit, healthy. He was a vegan. He loved animals. Um, but he was in so much pain. I, you know, I would listen to the stories of these, oh, I, you know, it, so um, I said, okay, Michael, I said, I have some obligations here to finish. And in August, I'll come out. And I was making a plan for, he says, bring everybody, even bring Barbara. He goes, you can wow. live in my house. And I'm like, I'm ready to go because yeah. I want them to build a relationship now. Yeah. You know, if he's willing to do that, he was reaching out like, Oh yeah, I want this. And he did want it, but he was also so depressed. And the conversations that we had, the texting that we had, all of it, um, The week before I was supposed to fly out there, I had an obligation in New York and um, that Friday, I called his phone and there was no answer. We always used to talk like two, three, four times a week. It depends, whatever, you know, just, I loved talking to him. This woman calls me back. Oh, yeah. And she goes, um, she goes, um, oh, hi, Michelle. I go, who are you? <laughs> oh, this is, uh, I forget, I forget her name. Michael shot himself. Oh, my God. 
Oh, Michelle. I... I screamed so loud. I screamed so loud. I just, I just, I'm like, there's like, no, 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 no. And then I screamed so loud that my mother comes in the kitchen from upstairs, from downstairs. And she goes, what the hell's going on in here? And I'm like, well, wow. I said, your son shot himself. She just shrugged her shoulders. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Where's that hug that I needed when I was 18? Yeah. No. Anyway. It is what it is. That's what she said. And she always said that. That was her thing. It is what it is. So... I didn't sleep all night long. I booked a ticket to Colorado. The girl that answered the phone told me that it wasn't necessary to come out to Colorado. Not necessary. Well, here's the thing. He didn't even he didn't even commit suicide that day. He did it 2 days before I called. Oh my think- god. Do you think, do you think she could have called you? She could have called me. She knows, she, obviously she could see his phone. She's not someone who was intimate with him. I can tell you mm-hmm. that right now. It is somebody that she she just started uh, working with him. You know, she was just, she was like a girl Friday. <sighs> Very cold and calculated. She told me that there's no need for me to come out there. Now, why? Because I find that awful odd. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who are you? You're not even Very his family. Weird. Yeah. I was worried about the do- I was worried about his animals. Yeah. I know how much he loved those animals. Yeah. And I wanted to celebrate his life in some way. And 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 you know, this person was 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 uh not very kind. Let's no. put it that way. No, I got as I was flying out there, um I got an email from her lawyer. Her lawyer. Yeah, her lawyer. Wow. The day my uh, the day before my brother committed suicide, he changed his will from giving all of his his money to the Parrot Foundation, the Cat Foundation, and the Dog Foundation to her. 
the day before. Whoa. Mm -hmm. That can't stand up. Well, in Colorado, apparently, it does. Wow. And I have a stack of evidence. Wow. Oh, my God. That's terrible. So... I have, I, have, to say, I have never really talked about it, but I, I want to thank you, Elaine, for letting me express that because, you know, not only losing someone that is so close to you and, and, and it just that it's still to this day. Very cold. Cold, yeah. calculated. I, I cannot, I don't come from that place. I don't. And, um, you know, my brother had, he had depression. And this is why I am such a huge advocate on mental health, because I know what it's like. I, I know it won't be huge comfort but you can take small comfort in the fact that he knew he mattered to you and i think that's that's a really important takeaway for you not your mom not your family but you Yes, I know. Thank you for allowing me to purge <laughs> because it, it his anniversary is coming up August 25th. And, um, yeah. you know, I only, I, I, I just, I only want, you know, to be able to, um, honor him. Absolutely. Till, until we meet again, right? Right, <laughs> right. Well, I have to say, the whole time we've been talking, I've been looking at your wings on the wall. And I know that everything back there is awards you've received. But I want you to know that I think those wings are really part of you. Thank you so much, Elaine. These are Skipper's, whoops, Skipper's Angel Wings. Skipper yes. is Nikki's nickname. So I started it, I started a nonprofit and yes, um, back in 2003, um, just shortly after I was fired from my job because I oh. asked for I asked for 10 hours a week off and they fired me the next day when Nikki was sick. Oh my God. And yeah. Um, and I was a single mother receiving not a dime in child support. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I was living in Westchester County in a cute little community. Um, you know, so the kids can go to school and, <laughs> you know, what, you know, bringing them downstate, you know, felt good, you know, yeah. energetically, it felt good. And they had um, such beautiful friends, but, um, you know, yeah, so that that's what happened. Like, I, I, I was devastated. I was, I lost my house. I lost my car. Um, I had to kind of figure it out myself, which I did. Thankfully, I was a real estate broker and I worked from hospital <laughs> next to Nikki yeah. and, and, and pulled into, you know, pulled in transactions as best as I could, you know? So, um, I managed, but you know, I'm like, I, I said, what can I do to help other families so they don't go through what I went through? Exactly. I have to pivot the pain to purpose yes. because I was in so much pain every day watching him through that IV drip. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a kind of person that needs to be like going and, 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 and mm. just actively doing something and, and doing it with purpose. And, and, and there's always a why behind of what I do. And it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, there's a deep meaning behind it. So I did, I started Skipper's Angel Wings mm -hmm. for um, terminally ill children and um, hospice patients. And hopefully one day I'll be able to open a sanctuary for them. So yes. they have a place to go because we had nowhere to go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so that's yeah. the goal with that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And uh, we will make sure that there's links to everything that you have uh, on the, in the notes on the podcast page as well. Thanks, Elaine. Uh, I, I, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Are you okay? How are you? At this moment, I'm deeply grateful that you chose to come and talk with me. I, I'm thankful that I'm finally paying attention and letting my intuition guide me to the people that I need to talk to. Yeah. And how do you feel right now? Oh, well, I feel so relieved. <laughs> No, I do because uh, you know, part of part of all of this is is authenticity. And guess what? This is who I am. I am, I am authentic in my in my in my in my grief journey and in in my life. There's no other way to be. There's no room for ego in grief. None. So the hug. And a lot that I talk about too is the pause. To take a pause. Yeah. I know we don't have a lot of time because this is live, but 
I pause quite often. I look out into this beautiful space and place and I pause. I think that's really important because I think sometimes we're always so busy, so forward moving that mm. sometimes pausing what some people call being mindful is really critically important. And for me, every morning, after I've walked the dog and I've come back and I've put out all the peanuts for the squirrels and the corbids and the ravens and everybody, I come and I sit by the front window. And that's my pause to just take in what is, be thankful for another day and, and give myself the, the time to, to be with me so that I can do what I need to do. And I cannot thank you enough because you have given 100% of you today. And I'm so honored that we're able to share your journey because I know it will touch others. I also know it may not be next week or next month, but you will get a real IRL hug from me sometime. <laughs> so yes, here's a you virtual hug. Thank you so very much. Mm. Is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with? Feel, feel it, just feel it, feel the vibration within you. It's so loving and so, so courageous. Pivot the pain. Pivot the pain into purpose. And pay it forward. Always pay it forward. From the authentic. From the authentic, like, the simmer within you. <laughs> because we or, always need a hug. Absolutely. <sighs> I think I'm just so blown away. Pivot the pain to purpose is probably one of the best things I've ever heard. And I, I am truly honored that you've shared with me. Thank you, Elaine. On that note, I want you too to consider pivoting your pain in the purpose. If you need to reach out, please feel free to do so. I want you to make the very best of your today every day. I'm Elaine Lindsay. This is Suicide Zen Forgiveness with my incredible guest, the grief warrior, Michelle with one L, Bell. And I'll be sure and see you next time.
Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.